In a time when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome back, listeners, to another mini-sode of the Feelin' Film podcast. With me for this special conversation is Blake Collier, one of our go-to horror correspondents. Get Out, by first-time director Jordan Peele, has been a revelation, nearly maintaining a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes and wowing audiences nationwide. It's not only a fantastic thriller, and it is that, but also a very important commentary on race. We understand that this is a sensitive topic for some, and hope to have a productive discussion about what the film may be trying to say, and what we can all learn from it. Blake, thank you for coming back on, man. Yeah, it, well, thank you for having me. Uh, it's uh, I was surprised after uh, some of the insults I threw your way uh, the last podcast that you allowed me back on. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> well, this one this one seems to be working out just fine. Um, good, good. Lis- listeners, the backstory here is that uh, Blake was with us for a minisode on Hell or High Water in the fall of 2016. And we started that episode off with a little bit of joking, uh, with a little bit of a, a Jordan Peele and, and Key skit, uh, with you know my name being A. A. Ron and his name being Balaki, and uh, we just kind of jokingly said, you know, we should get together for a horror movie because that's Blake's thing. And hey, they, Jordan Peele has a movie coming out next next uh, spring called Get Out. Why don't we just do that one? So we just we decided right then that we would do this episode, and boy, we couldn't have gotten more lucky, could we? Oh, uh, no kidding. No kidding. I, I think we, uh, I don't think we could do that again if we wanted to. No, no, let's not even try. Let's, let's keep, yeah. let's keep our rating at a hundred percent and not let Armand White, uh, mess yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. Well, listeners, um, we are a full spoiler show, so we're not going to skirt around the issues. We're going to talk about this film and spoil the heck out of it, uh, so that we can really dive in deep with it. Uh, we're best listened to after you've seen the film. So if you haven't seen it, please turn around now. Please go see this movie. Uh, go see it in a theater. Go th- so see it in a crowded theater uh, and support it with your money. And then come back later and listen to this conversation. Blake, let's kick it off with your initial impressions. What are your overarching thoughts after seeing this movie? So as I've, as I've talked about on Facebook and Twitter, and I, I mentioned it, uh, briefly in the article uh, that we'll probably talk about here in a little bit. Um, I actually walked out of Get Out the first time I saw it. I've seen it twice now. Um, feeling like I had just seen the equivalent of Halloween for my lifetime. So I wasn't born yet when Halloween came out. So I, I missed that boat completely. Um, but I felt like this had enough uh, depth and, and enough talent behind it. Uh, that it could shift kind of the uh, the trajectory of horror um, from this point on and and do some interesting things and maybe get some uh, ideas within the horror community that could uh, kind of reinvigorate it because I feel like it's been stale kind of off and on for the last uh, 20 years. Uh, there's little moments that are that are good, but that's about it. So yeah, I, I walked out being incredibly impressed and just really excited uh, about this film and about Jordan Peele as as an up and coming director. Uh, I felt like the most surprising thing for me, I, I knew he was a funny guy and I've liked most of what he's done as far as comedy goes, but I just did not realize that he had a natural knack for uh, where to place the camera, how to shoot a scene. 
and just the general cinematography. So I was just wowed uh, in general. And so uh, I watched it two days later and that feeling stuck around. So nice. That's a that's a big praise right there. A lot of times those second viewings will, you know, temper our first reaction a little mm-hmm. bit and kind of bring us back down to earth. I I got to see this in a, an advanced screening, which is awesome. Um, those can be hit or miss. <laughs> Sometimes you can get you know the the uh, critic crowd that just doesn't react to a film the same way as like a, a, a you know regular audience would. The thing that stuck out to me immediately was I, I got in line. And I was the minority in line. <laughs> and I, yeah. I, I point this out because I'm not used to that. Um, I, especially for a horror movie and, and horror movies are traditionally your crowd, especially like opening night crowds are, I mean, they're white. There's no way around it. They're white. Mm-hmm. And I was by far, by far the minority in this crowd. Um, all kinds of different people of color and different ethnicities were there. And I was really kind of excited about that. I was like, Oh boy, this, this could be an interesting experience. And sure enough, um, this is one of the most fun theater going movies that I have ever seen because (laughs) my crowd was off the chain, like crazy. I I don't know how yours was, but I had, I had people (laughs) screaming in the back of the crowd and I can't use some of the language on this podcast. I wish I could, <laughs> but, but I mean, it was just like, you know, MF, get, yeah, what are you doing? Turn your black butt around now, you know, like punch her in the face, you know, people like they were into it. And normally that stuff kind of bothers me in certain films, but in this one, it actually got me excited. And my, uh, the buddy that was with me by the end, we joined, man. We were like, just, we like, you know, uh, screw it. We're just going to like yell out loud too, because it gave us this really amazing communal experience. Um, and frankly, I don't think I could have had that with a crowd that was a bunch of white guys. There, there's no. just no way. Cause I was not relating to the film in the way that my crowd was relating to the film or the rest, a lot of my crowd. And, uh, and it was cool. So, um, I loved it. We were pretty much blown away by it. I expected it to be good. We like Jordan Peele as well. Um, and we had talked about that before our viewing, but uh, yeah, I didn't. I I did not expect the depth of um, story, and really, like you said, the direction is just kind of surprising <laughs> for a first-time yeah. director uh, to to be so specific. He's talked about in interviews actually um, how he was dedicated to this to the point where he just did not feel anybody else could get the point of view right because it was such a personal story, and I think that that really shows. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. So. With that, you know, kind of along those lines, I want to break this conversation into three major topics. And the first one of those is uh, just this movie is entertainment as as a movie. Let's leave all the social commentary out for a minute and just what do you think about this film as, you know, what was your theater experience, the acting? You're the horror guy. So as a horror (laughs) movie, how does it hold up? Things like that. So uh, my my crowd was not near as diverse as it sounds like yours was. But, however, I was surprised at how many people showed up in Amarillo, Texas, which is the middle of nowhere in, in the panhandle, um, how many people there were that were not white. And, and uh, like you, uh, they really got involved in the film. And uh, to the point of uh, at the very end, wherever he's kind of just letting out all of his rage on this family, uh, it comes to the mother. <laughs> and he's he's – He's he's just knocked over the uh, the 
the the teacup and she stabs his hand and and from the back this guy's like I would drop kick her out. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, there's just moments like that throughout the film and I was just like I like you. Normally that would bother me, but there's something about this film that almost requires that. Mm-hmm. Like it is so interactive in, in the way uh, it's presented and the way it kind of draws you in. And I, I keep telling people like if you, the more diverse the crowd, the better, because you need all those responses. Uh, and it's really invigorating uh, to watch it. So as far as, uh, as far as the acting goes, I felt like everyone was, was pretty much on point. Um, I didn't necessarily feel like anyone kind of stood out, but I'm not sure they were meant to stand out, to be honest. I think this was largely an ensemble cast. Um, I think Daniel Kaluuya had the heaviest weight on him uh, because he was he he was the central character and he was the one that we were we were kind of um, he was our surrogate within the film. And so uh, just watching him um, both just dealing with his lines, which were few, uh, but it's, he was largely the way he did a uh, non-communicative, um, language was, was really interesting throughout the film. And I personally really liked the fact that they picked, uh, Bradley Whitford and Catherine Keener as the parents, because these are two people that have a long history of doing, um, not only comedy, but largely experimental kind of film. And the fact that they're playing these uh, crazy killer, or not necessarily killers, but uh, crazy scientific uh, cult, cult leaders. Yeah, I would call it a cult. Uh, yeah, a cult uh, is. It's it's almost it's almost meta in how hilarious it is, uh, because it feels like if if anyone's gonna be the head of a cult, it's probably going to be Brad, Bradley Whitford. <laughs> it's, it's definitely believable. Oh, yeah. Yes, it is. And, uh, yeah, it, it's the, the the people they got to play the roles in this film were, were spot on. And, and I think that that is key. I think they all had to play their part and they had to play it well. Uh, but they didn't have, necessarily have to stand out. And, and I think there was enough restraint on everyone's part to allow the film to take kind of the steam of, of the uh, uh, just allow the the film itself to drive um, the response from the audience and so as far as horror goes though I don't get scared by horror okay 99% of the time well, you the watch a lot of it I, more than most of I us do watch a lot. yeah and so I the only movie I've been scared by and I still get scared by it is paranormal activity the first one and don't ask me why it's I'm not I'm not saying it's a good film, but for some reason it's, it, it gets to me. Um, so I wouldn't say this is a, this is a scary film. Um, but I think what it does is it's taking horror to a more personal level mm-hmm. in the sense that one of my, one of my, uh, one of the things I've, I've thought about quite a bit for the last year of my life is, you know, I think one of the ways you, we can invigorate horror is to allow people that are, are kind of on the fringe uh to tell their stories and to tell their nightmares and that way as a largely like you said white audience who usually are the audience of horror films we can see different perspectives that we have never experienced before and maybe come to understand people a little bit better uh through that and so that's 
think this one does well horror wise is it it allow it kind of gives uh, you know it gives us a glimpse into what are real existential fears for black people in America right now and so I think that's terrifying um, I can only imagine what it is to be black in America right now like I, I I'm not even gonna you know say that I understand any aspect of it but right. if if what is what I see in the news and what I hear from my friends is true, then I completely understand why there is fear uh, going on uh, within modern society. So, yeah, it's 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 just a it's a very entertaining film, but it's entertaining to the point where it will it will stick with you. Not because it's entertaining; that's what brings you there, and that's mm-hmm. what brings you back. But because you start thinking about the nature of what's going on in the film, right. and so however Peel was able to, he was able to kind of subversively drive the meaning uh, into the audience, and sometimes subconsciously, sometimes consciously, and that's that's brilliant, uh, in my opinion. So, oh man, I, yeah, I I can't agree more. I mean, as a as a writer and a director doing this, you know, for the first time, it's just it's it's really mind boggling. Um, you can't use the word any other real term for it, I guess, other than like passion project. You know, mm-hmm. uh, when he was talking during an interview I listened to this week, he was discussing how his writing process is to not get writer's block. He will work on multiple scripts or he would work on multiple projects. And the moment that he he said, the moment I got bored, I moved to something else. He said, if I'm writing a story and I kind of get stuck and I'm like, not necessarily I don't know where to go, but I'm just I'm not enjoying it anymore. I'm like, ah, oh, this is kind of like a chore to figure out this next line. I just stop and I go to the next thing. And eventually I hit enough good moments in all of those things that mm-hmm. one of them will end up standing out. And that's what happened to mm-hmm. get out. Like it just was the one that never really stopped being fun for him. Yeah. Um, and I mm-hmm. thought that was kind of brilliant advice because it's, it's very counter to what a lot of writers will tell you. There are a lot of writers will talk about getting writer's block and having to take a break and do all this other stuff. And Jordan just said that. And he said lots of weed. <laughs> I just, I just got to put that out there. The first question to him was like, how, you know, what do you do to get inspired when you're writing? And he said, weed, lots of weed. And um, I just thought I just couldn't help but laugh. <laughs> but uh, so when you were talking about the acting, I agree. Um, Love the parent casting. Um, thought it was spot on. Um, love Rod. I don't know his name as an actor. I really should have looked it up. But uh, <laughs> Rod, the TSA agent, I think brings such a realistic humor to this film. Um, like, like that's everybody's black friend, and and I, and I could tell. I could tell in my screening that everybody has a Rod, right? And Rod is another vehicle for us to view the film through because Rod is the one seeing everything for what it really is. You know, he, he, he goes to the police and he's like, look, this is what's happening. And of course, you know, the police laugh at him. They, yeah. You know, that's, that's the humor there. But like, he knows and he's, he's, he's us watching the film, calling it out, saying, don't go in that door. You know, yeah. you know, don't, don't let her near you. Run, dude, run. You know, like he's that guy um, and he plays it perfectly. And, and then Daniel, uh, is it Daniel Kaluuya? I want to say Kalua yeah. every time. Yeah, Kalua. So my <laughs> yeah. my only um, 
my only history with him was Sicario, and, and let's not. Yeah. We're not going to talk about Sicario. It's okay. <laughs> I promise. I don't mean to trigger you. That's right very. Now. That's a very sensitive subject. <laughs> I know. Um, but I feel like he he felt much older in Sicario to me than he does in this. Uh, there's um, a, yeah, definitely. But what really blew me away about his performance in this film, and you you mentioned this, was its subtlety and its nuance, and it was not. It was not done in a dialogue heavy way. Like a lot of Oscar performances, we use that term to because they have a monologue. Like every character has to have an Oscar monologue or an Oscar moment, you know, a Michael Keaton speech during Spotlight where he's, you know, standing up and enraged. We never get that from a from Daniel Kaluuya's character. What we get is a ton of facial expressions, gestures, head nods, finger wags that are all so perfectly timed. Mm-hmm. And then of course that iconic shot of him with the tears running down his face, getting ready yeah. to, to go into the sunken place that we're all using as like our podcast image of the, you know, yeah. image for the show, because it's, it is, it's an iconic image that I don't think people are ever going to not be able to immediately associate. Mm-hmm. And, and I just, I loved that about his performance. And for me, it really drew me into it because he wasn't talking much. And, and, it made me feel more uncomfortable for him because he wasn't overly talking. He was showing me his uncomfortableness through his body language. Um, yeah. And as horror, I'm newer to the genre. I'm falling in love with it, with everything I watch. I mean, I, I feel like I'm going to be right there with you in a couple of years. Um, because what's well, well, a good time gosh. to be in be a horror fan right yeah now. it feels like there must so. be a renaissance because a lot of the stuff that you yeah. guys have you know recommended to me even last year just to quickly give a quick plug these two korean films that i watched i would have never watched these movies ever in my life like uh, train to busan and the whaling are the two movies i'm referring to and both of these are like either one of them is like the wailing I feel like could eventually be my favorite horror of all time. Like it has that potential. It really affected me. And then train to Busan was incredible. And mm-hmm. I just, I would have never, you know, three years ago, I would have been like, I'm not going to watch a horror movie at all, much less watch a Korean one, yeah, you know, exactly. or, or something like unfriended that I watched just yeah. a few nights ago. Mm-hmm. And literally scared me the most of any film I've ever watched since Blair Witch Project. Like I was terrified and I would have written it off because I would have seen the critics say horror movie with 30% on Rotten Tomatoes or whatever it was. And I would have just not done it. But um, there's something about when you understand, like you said, the point of horror is not always the scares or the blood. It's, it's the, the implications that we take from that in our lives and in, in our personal connections to it. Yep. And that's what's scary. And I think this one does that incredibly well. The last thing I just wanted to say about the entertainment value of this was when it comes to that gore and that violence, I loved the way that this film mixed its, its minimal jump scares. There were a mm-hmm. couple and they were effective, but yep. the, the out and out, lack of anything happening for so long until the very end. Um, the way in which he, the brutality, I guess is the right word for it of, Mm -hmm. of Chris's escape. I mean, it it was amazing. I I didn't for once, like usually I'm going, Ooh, Ooh, no, stop. Like, okay. You've hit him enough times, but things had built so well that I wanted to watch this guy's skull be beat in by this, 
pool yeah. ball, you mm-hmm. know, this cue ball. <laughs> and it just, it was like an overflowing rage. And I thought it was amazingly filmed in a way yeah. that, um, I, I didn't bother me at all. You know, I was like, I was all in at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. with the way that the, the horror was handled, the, the physical horror, I guess. Yep. For but, sure. But yeah, so um, yeah, I mean, it's it's good stuff. It's it's so entertaining, and like you said, you come for the entertainment; it keeps you there. And then, you know, before you know it, you realize, crap, there's there's a, a message here, um, and this is teaching me something too. So you are a writer um, mm-hmm. for a couple different sites, one of them being Real World Theology, and you just dropped an article today, the day that this podcast is releasing. Um, and I think I forgot what it was called. It had a really clever title. Something about something about staying staying woke. Yeah, stay stay woke and don't scream. Okay, I like that. Um, <laughs> oh, I feel like that might be like <laughs> us us using the term "stay woke." I don't know though. Um, so anyway, you really kind of nailed the historical implications of the black perspective and what Jordan Peele was was getting out of this. And I I'm not saying this to to overly praise you just because you're here with me but i I truly believe that this article is an an amazingly written um very thorough and so so well thought out it's clear to me that you put so much effort into it and i knew that already because i've talked to you about it offline i knew how much you were kind of you were actually struggling on with this because you you wanted to do it justice and i feel like you did so i appreciate that you're welcome but do you want to talk about some of the stuff there from that about race and how this movie uses race and horror. So, so to go, go back to something you said earlier on the podcast, um, about the, the audience of horror films largely being white. And this is statistically true. Um, until, you know, I I think you start to see a little bit of, uh, you know, improvement with minorities in the nineties, but it's still nothing compared to, uh, the largely white majority of audience members for horror. Um, so often horror is built around the fears of white people. And, uh, two of the films that I kind of tied to get out as, as, uh, one of, one of them I know is a influence on, on Jordan Peele. The other one I kind of have, um, I would bet that he, he had seen it and he liked it. Uh, and that there was some influence going on there as well. Uh, and those were the Stepford wives and also, uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, both of which are dealing with people who start becoming less human and how they re- relate to the main character. And, you know, with with Invasion of Body Snatchers, you're dealing with uh, the 1950s, you're dealing with communism and McCarthyism, both extreme sides of the spectrum uh, of fears. And <clears throat> then you're dealing with Stefford Wise, which is deal- looking at, you know, the male-oriented society kind of reacting to uh, feminism and the movement away from traditional gender roles. And so you have basically what turns out to be, uh, in both these movies, what I called a uh, a homogenous population that was being created, Uh, whether it's by pod people, like it is in Invasion of Body Snatchers, (laughs) or it's uh, it's some... um, mysterious cult or conspiracy like in Stepford Wives. And so what the point is basically that these were white concerns at the time. Um, and both of those areas. So 
it was definitely a white concern for communism and McCarthyism at the time. Um, but feminism is only just now starting to become uh, concerned with people of color and and that perspective and allowing that perspective to speak into feminism in general. And so um, it was largely a white audience that these these films were dealing with. And yet what Peel does here is he takes the same concept, but he flips it on its head and he shows white people what it's like for um, a black man to see another black man who is acting odd. Mm-hmm. And are acting almost, should I say, white in, in the way they're responding to him whenever he meets them. And so the, there's a concept that has come up with, you know, one of my favorite rappers is Show Baraka. And he there's a line in one of his songs, I believe it's Bethesda off the Talented Tenth. He says, they give me my pen, uh, my freedom pen, uh, but I have to go swimming through bleach or something like that. And Ooh. so it's this idea that, like, it's about... The only way black people can be a part of this society is on white terms. Right. And so he's turning this on its head and he's saying, okay, well, you watch all these horror films where you're dealing with the, the fears of people becoming less than, than human and less white and less normal in how they respond. And yet you're basically saying to black people the same thing. You have to be someone you're not in order to have any kind of power or status in this country. And so that's kind of the turn he's doing with this, this idea. And, and so it's really interesting how he takes a lot of, and it's not just those two films. He does it with uh, slasher tropes. He does it with uh, black exploitation. He does it with all these influences that you can kind of tell throughout the runtime of the film. He's turning them all on their head and saying, all these things were either produced or watched by white people. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take all of them and I'm going to show white people, <laughs> whether they get it or not, yeah, that they're doing the same thing to African-American people in their own country. And so, <laughs> yeah. and, and so it's this really beautiful like way of, of basically taking white narratives and, and appropriating them to the black experience, which is appropriation is something white people have done to black culture for years. Uh, hundreds of years. And so to see Jordan Peele so handily do it with something that is largely white in audience is not only brilliant, but it's just a, it's a great way to enter into the argument, uh, for, um, showing white people what they're ultimately doing in, uh, allowing their privilege to take, uh, uh, precedence over the lives of other people. And so, yeah, it, it it almost ends up being like slavery. Um, yeah, I mean it's exactly. it's it's literally brainwashing slavery that we're watching take place here. Um, you you both being hypnotized to become enslaved, uh, you know, stuck in that sunken place um, of which is a representation of uh, this is coming from Peel himself. I don't want to act like these are my words, but he actually yeah. said the sunken place is a representation of the marginalization of black people in horror movies. He said black people always feel like they are in the horror movies saying the right thing, doing the right thing, and they're being ignored, which is kind of where that that title, you know, get out comes from. Um, He talked about how Chris and Rod's blackness is really what helps them get out of the situation, um, Mm -hmm. which I think is awesome. And, 
you know, to that to that point of both the sunken place and and then the 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 enslaving of the the blacks in this film by you know taking appropriating the best parts of them which is which is what happens right you know how many times have we as white people who are sports fans joked around and been like oh well you know of course you know he can jump higher because he's black or he can run faster because he's black he's a better athlete Mm -hmm. and this film addresses that very strongly and it shows this kind of underlying jealousy that that white people have like i want to have that so i'm gonna i'm gonna take your body i'm gonna take the best parts of you what i feel are the best parts of you which is everything other than your actual brain and soul (laughs) you know exactly i'm gonna put those those parts of me and i'm gonna take the best parts of you and appropriate them um and it's it's yeah i mean it it was that part was terrifying to me to watch this happen because i watched the whole thing with the lens of i felt for my black friends i think yeah. I, I i didn't think about me um i thought about them and i thought about my gosh if this is what it feels like yeah i i am i'm floored and i i didn't know how to respond and we can talk about how we respond a little bit later um mm-hmm. one thing i do want to mention though when we were talking about the the idea of you know how black people in porn movies always are the ones that are trying to address the situation rationally yeah. and then they always get killed yeah. Doesn't this happen in I, I believe so Jordan Peele, one of his main, main influences, in fact, was Night of the Living Dead, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm gonna be honest and tell you I haven't seen it. So okay. I know that there is another there's this movie stars an African American man like as one of the main characters and there's it, it doesn't this play into that film somehow? Yes, it does. So uh, Night of the Living Dead is one of the films that is iconic largely because Dwayne Jones is cast as the lead role and he's a black man and he's a self-possessed and very strong black character. And so he's, he finds himself in a hold up in a house with a bunch of white people, uh, both women, men and children, and all of them lose their minds during the, the, the scope of the film because they're being besieged by the living dead. And he's the only calm, rational one of the bunch even to the point where he slaps a white woman, <laughs> which is insane. Like the <laughs> fact that they, they allowed that to be shown. Like, and, and the thing, and I, I don't know how to, how to take this because every time Romero, George Romero, the director of it talks about casting Dwayne Jones, he, he's always like, I just like, he, he seemed like the best fit for the, for the role. I didn't have any thoughts about what this was going to say culturally or, and, and I'm like, Bullcrap. There's no way. There's, There's no, no way. way. Uh-uh. Like, and so, Not buying it. Especially, especially when he slaps a white woman in the middle of the film, and you're just like, what? Is, like, and so there's this – it's this really powerful Do you think – sorry. Do you think yeah, that that's no, why sure. that happens in Get Out? Because there's a moment where Chris does that. Yeah. No, I, I Do you think, think that's an intentional yeah. callback? <laughs> I would I would not be surprised because I, I don't think I've ever wanted that to happen so much as I did in this movie. Yeah, exactly. Like normally I would be like, oh, you're taking a little far. This one I'm just like beat the beat, beat the crap out of her. Okay, anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, and so, yeah, he's he's this really good, strong character, and the the point of the film was to show at the very end. He's still alive, and he hasn't been turned into the living dead yet. He's the only one to survive. And the Pittsburgh police show up 
with a bunch of rednecks and they see him and they think he's one of the living dead and they shoot him in the head. No. And then, and then they dispose of his body in a, in a, in, in a means that, uh, that really kind of looks similar to the way Emmett Till, um, had was, was dealt with whenever he was shot for whistling at a white woman who, by the way, they just interviewed the white woman, uh, recently. And she said it was a lie in the first place. Oh my goodness. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's insane. So it was, the ending was, was futile. Like it was a very depressing ending because he was innocent and he got shot by the police, which echoes into our current cultural situation so powerfully uh, whenever you watch it, because it feels very real. feels like it was ahead of its time uh, in, in doing that. But I think that's the beauty of the ending of Get Out is that he is in a situation that's very similar. He is attacking uh, his, at that point, ex-girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> you think? You think? And, yeah. And he is, he's attacking her. He's straddling a white woman on the road. With his hands on her all, neck, yeah. yeah. And all you hear is the whoop of a police siren. And at that moment, I don't care who you are, the pit of your stomach drops. There was an because, audible... No, in my theater, like everybody, because everyone, and that's the beauty of this, is you, everyone in the theater knows what's supposed to happen at that point. Yeah, like we exactly. we know what's going to happen, and we know at that point, dang it, this is Chris yeah. is not going to make it. He's going to be suspected of being the bad guy. He's going to get shot. Like that's, I, I don't think anybody in the theater expected anything other than that to happen. Exactly, and and for horror fans, the only other film that you can think of in that moment is night of the living dead. Yeah. Cause it's the only other horror film where there was a strong self-possessed black man who actually survived to the very end of the film. And then he gets shot <laughs> by a policeman. And so he's Peel is intentionally placing that in there, not only because it calls back to an iconic horror film, but also because it speaks very strongly of our current American crisis when it comes to race relations. And so you, you hit, yeah, you, you, you hear that sound and you just, like you said, there's an audible no, like in the audience at that point. And then when you see who is behind the door of the police car, <laughs> best line in the movie, the best line in the movie. <laughs> Can't quote it, but it's so good. <laughs> Rod, Rod is standing there, his best friend who is also black. And he's like, he, he's there to save him. Like he came after Chris. Yeah. And, and the the way I kind of sum up my article is basically saying like, ultimately, this there's a there's a hopeful side to this movie, and then there's kind of a a critical side to it. The hopeful side is that the black man survives, and he will survive, and he will overcome, but not because of white people, right? Because white people at no point have actually been helpful in, in this whole – In spite of white people. In spite of people. And, and yeah. not only not only is he saved by his black friend and, the, and, and essentially this is saying, you know, we're going to have to do the work ourselves. We're going to have to save ourselves. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they – he also is very clearly addressing the fact that, you know, the – the black culture and African-American race as a whole has to overcome some of themselves as well. You know, when, when they go to the cops and the cops are all black, you know, and they don't Mm -hmm. believe them. And, and I think that's what his point is. He's trying to, you know, echo that 
you know, you can't, it's, you got a, a big uphill battle here and, and yeah. they have to fight against a lot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I love the ending for that reason too. Well, and, and, and I think he's basically saying like, this means that as a black person in America, you have to depend on the black community. That's all you can depend on. Like until whites like, like destroy their eye, the, the idolatry of the whiteness and, and pay attention to their own privileges. White people are not going to help the situation. Right. It just isn't the case. Like it, you know, that's, that's the perfect picture for race relations. That's the MLK. But sometimes like in the midst of, of, uh, complete arrogance of white people. Sometimes you have to look at the Malcolm X response. You know, you need to pay attention to the community, the black community, because they may be the ones who save you. Because white people sure as heck aren't going to do it right now. No. <laughs> well, there, I... there, 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 may come, there may come a time when, when that switches, but right now, that's their, that's their hope. And so... Yeah. And and let's be be real here that we're not saying that there's there are no white people in the world that are not, not. that are not at that level right yeah. I mean yeah. things are happening to slowly people are starting to see this look at look at Black yeah. Lives Matter um, uh-huh. and and how many people are outspoken about that the one thing I do want to mention though is well I'm going to save that for this next section uh, okay. but um, one thing I do want to tag on there with what you're talking about with the whole white idolatry something that came out of your article that I read today actually was you talked about how not blacks were not just enslaved physically in the South, but they were enslaved in the North, but it was a different type of slavery. And I think that is the key thing that, that white people watching this need to understand and get out of it, get out of this. Really? They need to get out of this. (laughs) Ha (laughs) ha. Look at that. Um, I just didn't mean to do that. Um, It's, it's this idea that, we have a one way vision of what it means to be racist. And it's really a lot broader than that. Oh, it's much, and it's much more subconscious and almost, um, involuntary at times. It's something that we actively have to be conscious of, become aware of and fight against and, and accept that, accept that there are centuries of this through history that is ingrained in us. And it's not, that's, it's okay. It's not, it's not necessarily, we're not evil because we were born into this type of culture. What's evil is allowing ourselves to live in that and not fight against it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yep. Um, and so I thought that was, that was really interesting point that you made. One, one other thing that Peel said that I thought was really great. Um, he was talking about the influence of guess who's coming to dinner. And I mm-hmm. just watched this for the first time a couple of days ago. Awesome. Uh, perfect yeah. timing. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, it is. And uh, his point about Guess Who's Coming to Dinner was that it inspired him to make um, a film in the way where you could you could take the race out of it. Um, and everyone can still relate to the same fear of meeting the in-laws. Yeah. And, and that's so true, out. right? Like, even though he's scared because he's black, like, I, I guarantee you, if you're meeting your girlfriend's parents for the first time and you guys have gotten mm-hmm. real serious, you're going to be on edge, too. Yeah. Because you don't know how they're going to judge you, not necessarily because of your skin color, but they may judge you because of your uh, your job, you know, or yeah. your your music choice, or your or the weight. fact that you like horror films, or the fact that you like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And those are things that we can all relate to. 
Yeah. Um, and I and I hope that that as people are watching this film, especially white people, that they see that that it, it, you know you can you can find that in this as well. Yeah. Um, exactly. That connecting point. For sure. For well, sure. the the last kind of topic, and and we just started perfectly segueing into it that I wanted to touch on was the white response is what I want to call it. Um, okay. So I, I mentioned this because when I got out of the film, I immediately started raving about it online. I was posting, um, everybody go see this, go see this, go see this. And quickly people started posting threads on Facebook groups that I'm a member of where they were questioning the racist nature of the trailer of get out. Mm, like, Hey, yeah. This looks like it's racist against white people. This is just purporting the idea that white people are awful. Um, this is not helping anything. And yeah. if this if this was turned around and it was a white man being brainwashed and hypnotized by a black couple, um, we we wouldn't accept that. So mm-hmm. why are we accepting you know this? Yeah. And it really bothered me. I felt for, in fact, it, it, it really hurt me because I felt very much alone in a lot of threads. Like there were very few people that were standing up for the, Hey, this is important side <laughs> of the argument. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that at all? And so, why that might be, why are we reacting that way as a, as a race? I think first off, I'll say I used to be one of those people uh, back, you know, probably mm, eight, nine, ten years ago. I used to be the person that would say, well, yeah, well, that's that's just reverse racism, blah, blah, blah. You know, this is why, you know, if if this happened to a white guy and, you know, the, the inner city, you know, it'd be racist. And I'm like, but the the, the story about how I kind of – came out of that mindset is, is very long. But the, the point is, is like, I started listening to people and I started listening to the actual experiences of people, uh, that were not white and were not male and were not straight, you know, and, and starting to hear like just on a simple human level, the horrible things that have been done to them, mm-hmm. absolutely despicable things that have been done to them. And I was like, even if you take all of these elements out of it, you don't treat human beings like that, period. And so, I, you know, I wonder sometimes if, I think, I think a large part of why we react this way is because we're, first off, we're arrogant. Yep. Uh, we think our perspective is the true and only perspective. I think that's, that's 90% of the problem. I think maybe part of the other 10% is we're gun shy and we're still trying to figure out how to navigate very complex and very sensitive subject matter uh, within especially a heightened um, cultural context. Uh, That's why I was terrified writing this piece. (laughs) I'm sure. This is, this is is why I had uh, to, excellent, excellent people read it, uh, that they were coming from, uh, the African American perspective. I, I had them look at this and say, call out any blind spots I have in, in my own thinking and like, tell me if I'm wrong or tell me, you know, if there's things that you would challenge or, you know, what, and, and I'd sit, be very open with me, like, tell me how you, how you take this article. And so 
I, it takes humility <laughs> and why people just do not have humility right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and which is unfortunate because not only is that just a human thing, but that's a, that's a commandment in the Bible. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, de- and there's so, definitely no humility coming from the top politically either. So yeah, no doubt, no doubt. So yeah, I, I think a large part of it's arrogance, but I think there is an element of it that's, we just don't know how to navigate those waters. Mm-hmm. And so we're kind of at a loss. Um, yeah. So it, I think that's, that's part of the reason why we're reacting the way it is. And it's just because the church has not educated people well enough on how to be the church in the culture and in society and to, and what love, love and compassion and mercy and grace means in the actual physical world. Right. We're so isolated and we're so abstract and all that stuff that we failed, uh, the world or, or, you know, the rest of, of this country because we haven't been the incarnated church within our context. Yeah. And so, yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, I think, and I think that that can, I think that goes for anything. I mean, any, any social, social justice, whether we're, whether we're, you know, approaching it from a standpoint of, you know, religious, uh, faith devoutness or, or just good decency and people and humanity, um, that's something that we all have to start doing. It's like you said, you have to look at yourself first, not look at everybody else, not look at, not look at what that race or that culture is doing right or wrong in your eyes. Look at yourself and how you're taking it. Like you, I actually reached out to, to someone as well. Um, because I felt awkward. I mean, I was like, okay, I'm going to have this podcast and you got two white guys. Um, I don't want this to turn into something that people can't, trust and, and feel yeah. as being uh, rightfully addressing the issues. Um, and I actually, I actually seeked out, try to seek out like someone to come on. I didn't have the opportunity to find anybody yeah. in the short time frame we had, but I, I asked a friend that is very close to me, um, what his take on the film was and the racism in general that people have claimed about the film. And, and again, it's mostly from the people who watch the trailer, not who've seen the movie, which, you know, that's a whole nother yeah, that's a whole nother issue, problem. but that's, <laughs> that's sad. Um, yeah. and he said the only reason that in his opinion, people, white people could see this as racist. Um, and because of the fact that it's showing a black man's fear of white people coming true are people who inherently struggle with it and the denial of it. Like you were talking yeah. about mm-hmm. and he used great examples. He said, how many people were offended by split because they thought that it would per- further perpetuate women's very real fear of abduction. Yeah. Um, how many people were offended by sleepless because it perpetuated corruption in our, our police forces? How many people were mm-hmm. offended by Captain American Civil War because it perpetuated society's growing political divide? Yeah, exactly. And I was like, dude, that's exactly right. But when you mm-hmm. when you put a color spin on it, um, you know, he said everything is par for the course until oppression of colored people is skirted and then all hell breaks loose. The problem is that many, many whites have deep-seated cultural and ingrained problems with blacks that they have learned over the years to suppress, and they've never faced these issues. And so anytime something comes up that challenges that, the jerk reaction is always, to, always, always, always offensive in nature, mm-hmm. um, which, is, I mean, everything he said is exactly what you were just talking about. It's, mm-hmm. it's about how we can't 
be wrong. We have this inherent pride. And folks, listeners, that pride that we're talking about can also be a word substituted for that called privilege. And I think a lot of people hear that phrase, that buzz phrase of white privilege, and they think, well, that means that I have a better opportunity to have a better job than you do. Well, it's so much broader than that. Yeah. There's so much more that goes into your, our quote unquote white privilege. Um, than than just that. Um, couple couple quick other things on the white response. I was uncomfortable from the very opening scene of this film. I thought the opening scene of this movie is brilliant. By the way, it is. Yeah. Um, it shows us a black man walking around in a neighborhood. And he's talking on the phone to someone, and he's like, "Listen, brother, I'm I'm on like you know whatever whatever it is something something lane, and it's not next door to something something cove, and I don't understand why <laughs> it's like three streets <laughs> over. And what it shows us is this black man alone at night in a white neighborhood. Now, this is beautifully done because if you had a white person walking around in a black neighborhood, Mm -hmm. there would be absolutely no mistake. Everyone would accept that that person felt fearful. But what we're seeing is, hey, guess what? This can actually happen the other way around. Yep. Um, And so it made me feel uncomfortable then. The other thing that really got me was when Chris meets the Armitages for the first time. Yes. And daddy comes up and he just, he starts fist, fist pounding, you know, hugging Chris and calls him my man. Um, he says, you know, how long has this, that thing been going on? <laughs> he says, I like Tiger Woods. <laughs> yeah. All yeah. black people are blessed athletes. He uses these phrases. And um, our one of our writing contributors named Steve Clifton wrote an article this week, another very good article. It's awesome because mm-hmm. it's so different from Blake's that I, I urge you guys to read both of them, yeah, different perspectives. Sure. Um, and Steve was talking about how he told his story about how he was driving around with a black friend of his the other day, and his first question when they started talking about stuff was, hey, have you seen Straight Outta Compton? And he did it subconsciously. He didn't even think – He said, and he, he writes in the article, why didn't I ask him if he'd seen Sing Street? Or, you know, some other movie that is more recent. He said, you, we naturally have these stereotypes. And again, this is an involuntary thing. And I'm so guilty of this. I, Uh I treat it like, Hey, this is my black friend, Yeah. but I'm doing nothing but using that person at that point. Like, Mm -hmm. you're not just my black friend. You're my friend. You know, you have a different perspective on life than I do, but you're my white friend, Blake, and you do too. <laughs> and yeah. it has nothing mm-hmm. to do with the fact that you're white or you're black. I mean, you may have a different perspective because of that, yeah. but mm-hmm. that can't define my identi- my version of your identity. And I think that white people do this so unknowingly and, and yeah. really need to look at the language we use, the way in which we view and talk about our African-American relationships. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where it can start. I think if we start there on a one-to-one level with the people we know, that's when we can start to make that change. Um, you know, and it doesn't happen pervasive. overnight. No, gosh. No, it <laughs> takes work. It takes work. It takes work and, and dedication. And it's going to take generations, generations. It takes you doing it, modeling it, teaching your kids, bringing your kids up. I have a, uh, a mother-in-law who you know, still has some of these, these things come up for her. That yeah. she'll just make a comment, and it, it's because that's what she knew, right? Yep. And mm-hmm. so until we we change it generation after generation, uh, it's not going to happen. And I, I just I think it's brilliant, man, that this movie 
was <laughs> so entertaining and yet we, we can mine it for all of this important stuff and yeah. life lessons um, to help maybe move the needle and, and you know, yep. it doesn't have to move it all the way, but you know, every little bit helps. I think. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Did you have any last comments before we wrap up? Do we miss anything? Big time. Uh, no, no. I mean, there, we we missed a ton of stuff. But this, <laughs> I know there's a lot of things that this it's almost endless, and and the things you can cover um, uh, with this film. Um, it's yeah, it's just it's a strangely effective film, and how it can um, call to mind so many influences and so many uh, references and so many ideas uh, that just constantly keep my mind like contemplating it and that that's the thing i've noticed since i you know i've watched it is that i i haven't stopped thinking about it uh even a week in and so it's i I don't think i will stop for quite a while thinking about it um that doesn't happen often right most of the time like i'll watch a horror film and i'll i'll maybe think about it for a couple days and then i'll move on to what's whatever is next and so uh yeah this one just this one just keeps giving more and more and it's it's a way this is a good film uh, if you're looking for good conversation to take people to see this oh yeah yeah and have a conversation afterwards maybe it gets heated that's okay. You know, it's okay because this is not, this is not something to be taken lightly. Like this is real important stuff to be dealt with. And so, um, yeah, like be mindful going into this movie. I, I know it's a horror film. I know it's funny. I know all these things are, are part of its, its makeup, but at the end of the day, it's, it's an important film and it's, it's serious about the, the, the commentary it's making. So, yeah. I echo all that and could not agree more. Well, um, dude, thank you so much for being here. Um, yeah, I'm for sure. So glad we got to do this. And like I said, we got really lucky with this, <laughs> yeah, uh, with this pick. So if, if our next uh, time we podcast together, if we get something even half this good, I'll be happy. Um, but you know, before we go, I always want to give you a chance to uh, plug your work, let people know where they can find more of it. I urge everyone to, I don't know, subscribe to Blake somehow on Twitter or something. So you get notified. He really is a great writer. And, um, between Blake and the fear of God podcast, which if you follow me on social media, I post and all the time, it's like one of my favorite podcasts, but between Blake and those two guys at that show, um, their work is really what I go to personally for my first hot takes on horror. Anytime I'm watching something they're where I go for recommendations. So I would say, check them out. And where can they do that? So if you want to find me on Twitter, um, I, I tweet on a whole bunch of stuff on Twitter. Um, so it's not just horror. It's, it's, there is a lot of horror. That, You'll that get great about, music but, recommendations, that's yeah, for sure. great tons of music because uh, I have another podcast that's all music. And so I'm constantly listening to new music as well. So that will be at Blake I Collier, C-O-L-L-I-E-R uh, is my Twitter uh, my Facebook is Blake I dot Collier. You can look me up there and, and like my, my writer page, or you can go to my website. And at this point you're going to start thinking I'm full of myself. <laughs> www.blakeicollier.com. Uh, and go there. All of the links to everything I've ever written, uh, including links to the stuff I've gotten uh, published in actual books and eBooks uh, is, is up on that page. Uh, 
of course, I want to give a uh, plug for the article that came out today on Get Out uh, called Stay Woke and Don't Scream, Get Out's Subversion of White Horror Narratives over at Real World Theology. Um, it's gotten a pretty good response so far, and so uh, I'm, I'm happy with uh, the turnout so far. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for some uh, critical takes because <laughs> I, I kind of wonder if they're going to happen at some point. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, I'm sure if we get, get the word out and share it enough, somebody out there is going to come back and have something to say. Oh, excellent. Bring it. <laughs> <laughs> well, always, as always, if you want to uh, catch up with me online, you can do so at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E, all over the web, Twitter, Facebook. Mine's all the same as well. Um, Feel and Film, you can catch me. I tweet from the show's hashtag – or not from the show's hashtag, but from the show's Twitter account, at Feel and Film. Uh, we have a Facebook group. Links to all this stuff is on the website, feelandfilm.com, and also in the show notes. Um, next up for us will be a main episode. Patrick and I getting back together after his little brief hiatus due to family emergency. And we will be talking Logan. I'm actually heading out to see that here in a couple hours. I'm pretty stoked. Um, awesome. Really excited for that one. Um, it's going to be a fun episode because Patrick's like a, a super, super fan of Hugh Jackman as well. And it's just, I mean, if this movie is close to what people are saying, oh, oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, exactly. I'm pumped. I'm pumped. So. Uh, yeah, so that's what you got coming from us next time, and uh, I guess that's that's all for this one. Again, thanks, Blake, for being here. Uh, yeah, thank you for having me. You're welcome. Uh, stay positive and keep feeling film. <laughs>